The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Tuesday, July the 27th, show 52. I had to pause there to make sure I was getting my count right. Show 52 of the fantasy offseason. We are, I mean, we're really like a week away from ramp up. Free agency is next week. Guys, gals, free agency is next week. I said it with not nearly enough enthusiasm the first time around. Free agency is next week. We're basically there. Then it's reassessment time, re-handicap time, and then it's mock draft time. It's all, oh, it's a beautiful thing. The slightly shortened offseason, it, it does work wonders for us. The uh, offseason last year was too short. This one's going to be, I think, just right. And then next year, hopefully everything will go back to normal, and we can forget about all of this insane stuff, although I know you guys don't want to hear me say the words delta and variant in the same sentence, but it's out there, and hopefully... We've got this stuff under control because I would like to attend a game next year, but I ain't going in a spike because, you know, cooler heads or whatever. Uh, welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, everybody. I'm Dan Bespris. It's Tuesday, July the 27th, as I had mentioned at the outset. And this is a hoop ball presentation, hoop-ball.com, the website. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, hoop. Ball fantasy or hoop ball tweets are the Twitter handles of our benevolent overlords where you should be going to get in on the hoop ball loyalty program, which is a sort of a funny name uh, in that it doesn't really it's not so much loyalty as it is the hoop ball get on a plan and then don't think about it promo. I know I know. Not extraordinarily catchy in terms of titles. However, it is more accurate because any of you guys listening to the podcast that are already on a premium membership, just leave it alone. Because on August 16th, the price of everything at Hoopball is going up. I can tell you that. It's not a secret. For the next draft season, the next draft guide drops that day or that week. And with that comes sort of our next... We're on a uh, draft guide to draft guide fiscal calendar at Hoopball. <laughs> That's the, the uh, professional name for it. So when things change prices, usually there's folks that are like, oh, darn it. Well, guess what? You don't have to, oh, darn it this time. Just be on something. Fantasy Pass, Wager Pass, Hoopball 360, whatever, and you can just keep the old price as long as you stay on a plan. If you're not currently on a plan, get on one now before the price goes up on August 16th and you lock in the old rate. Easy peasy. One very good reason to do it and get the wager pass right now is our buddy Jonathan Martinez, one of the hoop ball wagering professionals, one of our premier handicappers, a baseball sorcerer who... And I know this because he hit me up uh, early this morning to say, hey, Dan, I've got a sheet I'm working. Everybody at Hoopball has to keep a sheet of every play they put out because we're all about transparency around these parts. 
He says, I'm working on my sheet. I'm getting everything up to date. Can you check in on it and make sure everything looks formatting-wise the way it should? And so I popped in just to make sure that everything looked right. Well, guess what? Our buddy Jonathan does home run props in baseball, almost exclusively. He had, he had a couple of, uh, there's some money lines and run lines and team totals and stuff mixed in there. But for the most part, it's home run props. So listen very carefully what I'm about to tell you. He's 33 and 55 on the season. And I say, it, and I'm sort of laughing as I say it because he's 33 and 55, but most of the hits are plus 400 underdogs or better. You guys can do the math on that. One unit apiece on basically every single wager all season long. 22 games under 500, but up 28 units. That's crazy. Up 28 units on 88 bets. That is marvelous. You guys need to be a part of this home run prop barrage. And it's been it's been hot lately, too. I know he missed the two that he put out yesterday on uh, on Monday. But went two for three on Sunday for three units. One for three on Saturday, but gained one and a half units. That's the beauty when all of your plays are plus 400, basically. You don't need to win them all. You need to hit like one a day. And if you have more than one a day, holy smokes. He went two for three back on the 21st, almost a week ago. One of them was a plus 500 underdog. Won seven units that day going two and one on one unit bets. I love it. I love it. It's so cool to root for. You can watch those guys have their at-bats during the ball games, or you can just look at the box score at the end. But either way, plus 28 units on 88 one-unit bets. That's amazing. Get the wager pass for $9.99 a month. Dodge the price increase in August that goes up to $14.99, and just keep it rolling because we've got sports 365 days a year in the wager pass. And if you're looking for a place to bet it, do it with our buddies at mybookie.ag. Hit me up on Twitter, at Dan Bessers, if you'd like me to open your account and make your first deposit for you. Yep, I said it. Today we embark upon the Central Division, our penultimate division, and a team-by-team breakdown taking us across the NBA. We finished up the uh, Southeast with the Wiz yesterday, And we begin the Central with the Detroit Pistons, who I actually think are a pretty interesting fantasy team for a couple of reasons. So let's first look at their contractual situation. There's only really like a couple of guys coming off the books. Dennis Smith Jr. is technically off the books. Wayne Ellington is uh, for real off the books. Because for, for Dennis Smith Jr., I think this is actually the end of his initial contract. I don't know precisely how that all works out. And then Hamadou Diallo, who they traded for mid-season, he's a restricted free agent. So they can, and I would assume they're probably going to try to retain him as well. I think they may have even extended a qualifying offer, what, in the last couple of days, perhaps? In any event, the Pistons have two players that they signed to traditional contracts, in the way you'd sort of think about it, I guess. Uh, Jeremy Grant, who this last season they gave a three-year $60 million deal to. Mason Plumlee, who this last season they gave a three-year $25 million deal to. Uh, And that's basically it. They've got some other young guys. Josh Jackson is finishing up uh, his, he had, I think, a two-year deal that they may have given him. So small, the uh, $5 million a year. Rodney Magruder, 
Uh, I don't even know where he surfaced from. I'll be perfectly honest with you guys. And then a bunch of young guys and Corey Joseph, who has a non-guaranteed $12.5 million deal this coming season. I can't imagine he wants to be in Detroit for what is very clearly a full teardown that is just hitting the uh, bottom point of the tearage. Because they do have some interesting young guys, and they'll have more in the upcoming draft. Pistons have uh, first overall pick, if I'm not mistaken. Young guys already on the team, Killian Hayes, who missed most of this last year, uh, but he's signed for another few seasons, team options and so forth. Sekou Dumbuya, Isaiah Stewart, Sadiq Bey. Bey was getting Rookie of the Year consideration. So the Pistons like their young guys, and in teardown mode, in rebuild mode, whatever you want to call it, the impetus is there for them to play young guys. Which is all the more reason, at least in my estimation, to say, I don't think Corey Joseph finishes this coming season with the Pistons, and I'd be a little bit surprised, truly, if he even started the year with the Pistons. But, that, I mean, that's, a, that's a, still a distinct possibility. Maybe he starts and they try to find a trade partner for him for a couple of months. But when I say starts the year with the Pistons, I also mean, is he going to be a starter? That doesn't really make any sense either. The Pistons are kind of a tough team to handicap just for one main reason. That was down the stretch. They didn't really let anybody play every night except for Isaiah Stewart and Sadiq Bey. Those are basically the only guys who played every ball game down the stretch for the Pistons or every game where they were healthy at the very least. Pretty much everybody else on the roster was getting some kind of day off. Mason Plumley, veteran skipping back-to-backs. Corey Joseph, veteran uh, skipping like a week and then playing a couple of games. Killian Hayes, Injury, missing back-to-backs. Jeremy Grant, shutdown mode. Hamadou Diallo, injury maintenance stuff. What we do know about the Pistons, at least as of right now, is that they're very high on their young center, Isaiah Stewart, but they also really like the veteran center they brought in in Mason Plumley. That shrieks, screams, it bellows of a timeshare. For that reason, and it's a little bit disappointing because, uh, by all accounts, those are the two guys on the team with, I might argue, the best fantasy opportunity on the team because it's very easy to put up fantasy value when you're a big man and your team actually runs some of the offense through you, which is what we saw with Plumlee. Earlier in the year, he was hovering in that 75 to 85 range because he was getting nine rebounds, four assists, a steal, a block, good field goal percent, lots of interesting stuff across the board, and, you know, then they went into rest mode, and he played 56 games is when things all wrapped up together. Jeremy Grant, but we'll get to him in a minute, and I know you're, you're thinking, Dan, go through this thing in order. Isaiah Stewart, in about 21 and a half minutes of ball game, he was top 140 over the entire season on slightly better feel, uh, free throw percent, excuse me, than Mason Plumley. Uh... Field goal percent for those two guys is going to be relatively tight. You saw Stewart get a little more burn down the stretch when Plumlee was sitting out ball games, and I think uh, you probably also saw Stewart's field goal percent dip a tiny bit because he was more willing to take a couple of jumpers. But he's a better shot blocker, which gives him a fantasy elevated status. I have to admit, I'm really I'm pretty focused, pretty laser focused, stealing the Woj and Shams terminology on the Pistons' center spot. If we find out going into the season that Isaiah Stewart is the guy 
that Mason Plumley now is going to be taking the back seat. He's the veteran bench center who they gave a, a very confusing three-year deal to on a team going into a rebuild. Then Stewart is a guy worth drafting. Because down the stretch, in about 26 and a half minutes of ballgame, he was top 75 his last 20 games of the year. Some of those, by the way, were with Plumley. Some of them were without. He was at 11 and a half points, nine rebounds, 1.8 blocks, 0.7 steals, good field goal percent, free throw percent, not great, but he wasn't taking many, and about half a three-pointer. Pretty repeatable stuff for a uh, fairly traditional, pretty athletic big man. Block some shots, get some rebounds, shoot a good percentage. That's your job. If we find out Plumley's starting, you don't draft either of them. Unless you're willing to squat on Stewart until Plumley potentially gets traded in the middle of the year. Because he'll be trade bait. $8 million a year for uh, a very good backup center. That's what Plumley is as a, as a basketball player. Is uh, pretty reasonable. And I think a lot of teams would love to have a guy like that to just go get some rebounds, run the floor, actually pass a bit out of the offense. He's a skilled basketball player. doesn't score much, but there are teams that could use that type of guy. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's probably like a 30 or 40% chance he gets moved this coming season, but I don't think it'll be before the year starts. That would surprise me a little bit, but crazier things have happened. If he gets traded before the season starts, you're probably not going to be able to go high enough on Stewart. Someone's going to snap him up uh, before he would fall to where you're at because there is no other option on the roster. Jaleel Okafor is not an option. I know he signed for $2 million this coming year. Uh, but that would at that point, that would be Stewart all by himself for you know full center minutes. And you're looking at a guy who could push top 50 as a starting, starting minutes caliber center. If Plumlee is there and coming off the bench, I think you look at Stewart as a 25 to 26-minute guy. That probably still puts him inside the top 100. If Mason Plumley's there and starting, that's the scenario where you probably don't draft either of them. Again, unless you're willing to squat on Stewart. Basically, the idea is if Stewart's starting, you're drafting him somewhere. If he's starting in front of Plumley, you're drafting him probably around 100. If he's starting and there's no one behind him, you're drafting him probably in the 70s. Because there's very little... Nothing is can't miss, but... His fantasy game in 27 or more minutes per ball game is basically a guaranteed top 75 ADP uh, per game season. Not ADP, excuse me. He also appears to be relatively durable, although it's hard to know because, again, one year of data. The uh, most valuable fantasy player on a per-game basis this year not Mason Plumley, not Isaiah Stewart. I broke those guys down because they sort of went hand-in-hand hand and they were numbers two and three. The, the number one guy was Jeremy Grant, and he was for basically the entire season. Although, it was very much a tale of two halves for Grant. There was the first half where he had energy and spring in his step, and he was a top 50 fantasy player. There was the second half where he had no energy, lost his spring, couldn't shoot from anywhere on the floor. Field goal percent, free throw percent, you name it, he was bad. And he was outside the top 230. Again, 20 points and over a block shot a game and couldn't get inside the top 230. That is what a negative he was 
in field goal percent, free throw percent, and then also power forward getting 3.3 rebounds a game. That's just not going to cut it. Where does Jeremy Grant go this coming year? I really don't know. I get the feeling that he's going to be judged on his better first half. And that's probably the more accurate of the uh, three potential ways to judge Jeremy Grant. There's three ways to look at his fantasy season. There's the first half, the second half, and then there's the full body of work. In the first half, he was playing 36 minutes a ball game and taking 18 shots a night. He was an 88% foul shooter over that stretch, averaged 23-5-3 with 1.9 defensive stats and 2.5 three-pointers a game. 43.5 shooting and turnovers were uh, 1.5 per game. Really very impressive stuff. Then you flip it around and you look at the second half of the season and Grant fell like a boulder. I mean, the field goal percent went down. The free throw percent went way down. Defensive stats went down. Rebounding went down. Threes went down. Everything fell. Turnovers went up. Not one thing held. And so he fell from top 40 to 180. That's the two halves of the season. That's really hard to do. To be outside the top 175, averaging 22, 4, and 3. With, uh, again, a free throw percent that wasn't bad. It was just that everything disappeared on him. Field goal percent became a really big deal. Steals and blocks were no longer particularly helpful. Blocks was okay, but not passing, not rebounding. The threes settled back towards league average. Things got weird. I think he probably gets drafted in the top 60 this coming season, which is, in my estimation, too high. I haven't seen enough out of Jeremy Grant to feel confident saying this is an 88% free throw shooter now. He's 71% for his entire career. This season, this most recent season where he ended at 84.5 after going 88 in the first half and 81 basically in the second half, was his best free throw shooting year by 10% in his career. So that ain't going up. Field goal percent was his lowest by a large margin, at least if you eliminate the, like, I'm actually getting to do stuff years in Philadelphia at the start of his career. Lately, uh, Oklahoma City, a couple years ago, he was at 54, then 50, then 48 with Denver as he started to... Actually, even in OKC, he was taking a few more three-pointers a game. And then this year, six three-pointers a game. But overall, it was the, generally the same percentage of his overall looks. His three-point percentage went down from 39 to 35. His uh, two-point field goal percent went down from 54 to 47. There is room for him to get better in field goal percent if the team around him is a little bit better. The blocks and steals at .6 and 1.1 feel fairly sustainable. That matches up with his career marks. Yes, they're lower than his career per 36s, but also... When you finally do play 36 minutes of ball game, it becomes a little bit harder to maintain some of that stuff. Still, you could see the blocks get up to 1.2 or 1.3, and I wouldn't call it nuts. Or you could see them fall to 1. I also wouldn't call that crazy. All that to say, he's still going to get plenty of shots this coming year because the Pistons aren't about to add a high-usage guy around him. I just... I think the, the 
sum total of everything for Grant this year, that probably is a relatively accurate assessment of what he is, which is as a high-volume guy, he's going to hurt your field goal percent. He's not going to be the 48-49% dude when he's the lead horse, when he's not getting Nikola Jokic-led wide-open looks everywhere on the basketball court, when he's not just a slasher. He's got to take shots. Shots, shots, shots. Free throw percent could come down. That would worry me a little bit. And at the end of all of it, 22, four and a half, and three. Two threes, 0.6 steals, 1.1 blocks, 85 free throw, 43 field goal. He was number 81. If you think he gets better, how much better do you think he gets? It's got to be field goal percent. That's the thing that could potentially go up. But other things would have to stay and not fall back a little bit. He played 34 minutes a game this year, friends. That's a lot. So I'm inclined to think that he really is more of like a top 80 kind of guy. If he falls into that range, he's probably a pretty safe top 80, although we saw what could happen to him in the second half if field goal percent goes completely into the toilet. And for that reason, this was probably the year to target him. I think he most likely gets more love, perhaps, than he deserves going into drafts this year on the hope that he gets back into that very high volume, not breaking you type of stuff. And then could he be an 88% foul shooter again? I, I just don't. I don't see it. That's quite an obscene leap. Let's get into the young guys a little bit on the Pistons. That's certainly worth exploring as we think about who should we spend any draft capital on. Killian Hayes, we got a little bit of a look at him uh, down the stretch this year. Not much, mind you, because he too was taking days off. But in his last 10 ball games, he averaged 8 points, 4 boards, 7 assists, 1.2 steals, and a 3 ball on a brutal 36.5% from the field and 75 at the free throw line with 4 turnovers. Woof. I'll admit, he has an all-around kind of fantasy appeal that will almost definitely get better. There's no way that the 36% shooting goes down for a guy who, you know, he's not a good shooter, but basically everything he did was at a super low efficiency this last year. I'm. That was, again, uh, his last 10 ball games, which is what I was operating off because he was basically playing starters minutes over that stretch. So Killian Hayes, um, not ultra excited about it. He's a uh, last couple of rounds kind of guy to look at because there is, from an actual basketball standpoint, I think he could be kind of interesting. From a fantasy standpoint, there's just so much ground to cover in field goal percent in particular that I don't know how you look at that and say, all right, here we go. Also, uh, he didn't seem like he wants to take that many shots. None of the big shot guys on Detroit are gone. So if you're looking at this team like, oh, well, who's, like, whose shots are going to go to Killian Hayes? He's going to have to just take more on his own. And maybe Corey Joseph when he was there. But, like, Sadiq Bey, he's still going to get a bunch of shots. Jeremy Grant's still going to get a bunch of shots. Hayes is not going to push himself in front of those guys in the 
throw it at the rim pecking order. He will be the assist guy on the team. I could see Hayes' assist going up from seven. You could see the steals. They're at 1.2 in 30 and a half minutes a game over those last 10. That's a number that could maybe even continue to go up a little bit. But there's just a lot of ground to cover. A lot. It's not easy to go from top 300 to top 100 in an offseason. Especially if that top 300 marker on Hayes, again, we're talking about the team's last 10 games, or his last 10 games, I should point out. He was playing starters minutes in those games. Eight points, three and a half boards, seven assists. That was starters minutes. Even if you bump the usage up a little bit, there needs to be a bunch of other stuff that goes with it. So I'm more excited about Killian Hayes from a reality standpoint than I am from a fantasy standpoint. I don't think it's enough to turn the corner. The guys on this team that feel closer to fantasy value, whether that seems obvious or not, are Sadiq Bey and Hamadou Diallo. Bey is the easy one because we actually saw him do it. Over his last 10 games, he was playing 36 minutes a game. Super high volume guy. He was taking 15 shots a night and shooting 40% on him. 74% from downtown. So the percentages were actually terrible for Bay. But he was averaging 18 points, 3.5 threes, 6.5 rebounds, and 2 assists. 1.3 combined defensive stats. Not great. Uh, but not sink you kind of level. What I think we can hope for, and I don't know if we can necessarily expect it, but what I think we can hope for with Bay is that he cleans up the field goal and free throw percent a little bit. He's too good of a shooter to be uh, shooting 74% at the foul line over almost any stretch of games. If you go for the full season, he was at 84%. So it's pretty safe, I think, to say that that last 10 games was a bit of a small sample size anomaly. Crank that 74% up into the 80s, and he's well inside the top 100 in that stretch. Admittedly, Jeremy Grant missed a bunch of those ball games, so Bay got extra shot attempts, but this is a guy that they're going to be developing. He will get a bunch of shot attempts this year, so I'm, to- I'm totally fine with taking a Sadiq Bay flyer. Uh, I would eyeball him probably outside the top 95, just because stat set-wise, he's not dominating, but on the off chance that field goal percent and free throw percent both take a big leap forward for him in year two, He's a guy that could jump a few rounds on those percentages alone. So I like Sadiq Bey. I think he's someone we could, we should at least think about in fantasy drafts. And then the other one, Hamadou Diallo, is a weird uh, case study. He certainly fits the profile of a points league guy far more than a category league player. Over his last 10 games, he averaged 26 minutes a night, 12.5 points, a three ball, six rebounds, but... 45% from the field, one combined defensive stat, and a pretty high volume 59.5% at the free throw line. Here's what I'm excited about and then what makes me nervous about Diallo. What I'm excited about is that when he's on the floor, he's pretty electric. He's a leaper. His field goal percent could, and I would argue should, be better than 46.5%. His scoring should go up. His durability should go up. The steals should be better than his brief time in Detroit. He's uh, much closer to like one and a half steals per 36. So you get him into the mid to high 20s, he should be at one. 
And that's generally where he's been. So this year, a half a steal in 24 minutes a game with the Pistons, that's, I think, a bit unusual. And then with blocks, probably about a half a block a ball game as well. So there's a few little avenues for upside on Diallo. The big problem, the thing that should make us all nervous, is that because he's such a high flyer and a great slasher and a rim attacker, his awful free throw percent is going to be a factor. The scales of justice on Hamadou Diallo, you ask yourself, on one side, you've got the interesting upside of defensive stats, points, rebounds, and maybe field goal percent if he can get that rope together. And the other side, the downside on the scales of justice, fantasy justice, is free throw percent. And I'm inclined to believe that the free throw percent side actually wins. I think it's going to be too much of a negative, even if he's playing a bunch of minutes. In category leagues, in points leagues, his biggest issue isn't on the board. If he goes out there and actually shows some durability this year and gets a few extra shots and he's scoring 14, 15 points with six or seven rebounds, that's a points league interesting guy because he's not a full punt free throw dude. If you're a punt free throw guy, you better be damn good in the other stuff, and he wasn't. Then there's these peripheral guys like Sekou Dumbuya, who hasn't shown he can do enough in starters minutes, Josh Jackson, who has horrible percentages and profiles much better as a points league type backup dudes like Saban Lee, who's not going to play enough, Corey Joseph, Frank Jackson. Joseph, of course, if he's still around next season. He was actually relatively close to fantasy value down the stretch. I just, I can't envision a universe where he gets to play 29 minutes a game for this team, so he's right out as well. And that loops us all back around into a neat little Detroit Pistons package that looks like this. Guys that I would like to target in drafts next year. Sadiq Bey, and it'll depend a little bit on moves they make in the offseason, but right now, based on the complexion of the team, he's someone I'd be looking at in the 100 range. Isaiah Stewart, in like two out of three possible scenarios involving Mason Plumley, meaning if Plumley's gone, altogether gone, if they trade him in the offseason, which, again, feels unlikely, but it could happen. If he's gone... I would look at Stewart as a top 60 type of player that I'd be looking to draft outside of that. If Plumlee's there and the backup center, and Stewart's the guy getting 25 to 26 minutes a game, I would eyeball him as someone closer to the edge of the top 100. And if Plumlee's there and starting, you dodge them both. You could consider Plumlee, if he's playing, if he's the starter and he's getting 24 to 26 minutes a ball game, but it's dicey. Because in 27 minutes a game this year, he was number 102. So he kind of needs to get to that level. That's a big sample size, 56 games. Same thing for Isaiah Stewart. Top 140 in over 68 games in 21 minutes a night. So you, we already know that if those two guys flip-flop, who's playing which role, starter and reserve, Stewart is inside the top 100 as a starting caliber center. Plumlee is outside the top 100 unless he's getting really the lion's share of minutes, not even just a like one over the midpoint. He needs better than a timeshare. 27-21 is what you're looking at if Plumlee, if you're expecting Plumlee to be inside the top 100, it's got to be a 27-21 in Mason's direction. Anything less than that, and you can start to see the pendulum begin to swing. As he gets to 24-24, Stewart becomes a top 100 type of guy. Anything above that, he just keeps moving by like a half round at a time every 30 seconds almost. 
And as we mentioned, if you get a Stewart somehow up to 29 or 30, he's got top 50 potential. Things do tend to peter out a little bit when you clear that 26-27 minute mark. Guys don't often add stats quite as quickly because they start to get a little tired. Their time on the floor gets stretched out. They're not maximizing their seconds as much. But I would still say Isaiah Stewart has top 50 upside as the starter with no legitimate backup behind him. He's a guy that in 30 minutes a game could push two blocks a night, could push 10 rebounds a night, could push a steal a night. Of course, it's also conceivable that once he hits 26, 27 minutes, those things just sort of plateau, and the extra two to three minutes on the floor gets him like an extra rebound and an extra point. That might be it. That that has happened. It's happened before. So Bay, Stewart, barely Mason Plumlee, and then Jeremy Grant, who I think is probably going to be overdrafted, but obviously if he falls far enough, then yeah, you scoop him up. And then the the big name-ish guys that I'm probably dodging, Killian Hayes, haven't seen enough to say that he's ready to be a fantasy guy. Hamadou Diallo, Josh Jackson, these guys just have too many category league deficiencies. And Corey Joseph, who I think takes a backseat in a rebuilding Detroit lineup this year. And that is your Detroit Pistons. We'll continue our tour of the Central Division on tomorrow, Wednesday show here on Fantasy NBA Today. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Quick wrap-up on today's show, because we all got places to be, don't we? Maybe not. I don't know. In any event, um, that's it. Later. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.